You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. How many of you, this is your very first ever Shredder Sunday? Yes, come on, a bunch of you. That's amazing, yes. So again, this is my, probably my favorite Sunday of the year. We do it every year. I'm going to go ahead and tell you how it works since uh, some of you is the first time. There should be a little piece of paper on your seat, and it says Shredder Sunday on the back or the front, however you want to look at it, and then on the back or the front, however you want to look at it, there's a bunch of lines. And that's for you to write stuff down. And you're going to write down things that you want to leave in 2021 that you do not want to take with you to 2022. Maybe it's a doctor's diagnosis. Maybe it's uh, thoughts that you've thought over your life, over your family, things that maybe it's debt, maybe it's uh, words that a friend or coworker or family have spoken over you. Maybe there are lies that you yourself have conjured up and believed about yourself that you want to shred and don't want to take with you into 2022. So as I'm preaching and talking, um, I, I, I'm praying that God will begin speaking to you and that the Holy Spirit will whisper to your heart and to your mind and that things are going to come to mind that you need to leave behind in 2021 because they will not serve you for where God wants to take you in 2022. So the title of this message is Forsaking All, Part 1. And I'm desperately trying to, to preach Forsaking All, Part 2. It's a message about the Apostle Peter that um, I'm super pumped to be able to preach. I just haven't been able to. I was going to preach it last week, and then for those of you that were here, we ended up over there in the venue for a bunch of reasons, and so just didn't preach it then. And then it's Shredder Sunday, and the forsaking all part two won't really work. So anyway, this is going to be part one. But the, um, this idea is from one of my favorite lines in the Bible. You know, in the New Testament, when Jesus comes and he calls Peter, and he says, hey, you will no longer be a fisherman. You will be a fisher of men. The Bible says that Peter forsook all and followed him. And there is so much power in that, in forsaking all to follow God. And we're going to get into it whenever I preach part two. But Peter received a, a special place of honor and a special place of blessing that nobody else did because he was willing to forsake all and follow God. Anytime the 12 disciples are listed out in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, anytime, Peter is always listed first. It lists the 12 disciples, but Peter's name is first. Make no mistake about it, Peter was the leader of the 12 apostles. Jesus had the 12 apostles, but then he had his three, you know, his three bros, like his super tight buddies, and that was Peter, James, and John. Anytime the Bible talks about Peter, James, and John, Jesus' inner three, it only talks about Peter, then James, then John. List them in order. Peter always occupies the first space. Peter was the very first to perform a miracle, a healing miracle after the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. He was the very first to stand up and give the first sermon after the Holy... Peter got to experience things that nobody else did. He got to see Jesus transfigured on a mountaintop because he was willing to forsake all and follow him. I'm getting way ahead of myself. I shouldn't be doing this. He also, but I can't stop. He also was held to a higher standard than anybody else. So those of you that know the Bible, uh, your, your New Testament, when Jesus, right before he's about to be crucified, he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He goes into the Garden with his 12 disciples, and he says, you guys wait here, Peter, James, and John, you three come with me. And he says, keep watch, I'm going to go pray, you do the same. 
And then, if you know the story, all of them fall asleep. Now, if you go read carefully, when Jesus comes back, he says, Peter, why have you fallen asleep? Doesn't say anything to James and John, just Peter, because Peter is held to a higher standard because he forsook all and followed God. But thousands of years before that, this is part one, that's part two, there was another that set the precedent for forsaking all. I want you to come with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. It was a man named Abram who would later be called Abraham. And uh, Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1, just going to read through uh, verse 6. And it goes like this. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people who they, whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Okay? So there's this promise that God gives to this man named Abram. In Genesis chapter 12, I was reading, a Bible scholar says that there's more difference between Genesis Genesis 1 through 11 and Genesis 12 than there is between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There is such a dramatic, drastic shift in the Bible from the first 11 chapters of Genesis to then what starts happening in Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis 1 through 11, God just talks about, the Bible talks about sort of humanity collectively and how they all fell into depravity. And so God had to cleanse the earth through a flood. And then there's just, you know, just no matter what, like people just kind of can't seem to get it right. They're always, you know, making idols and worshiping things outside of God, doing things they shouldn't do. And then in the beginning of Genesis chapter 11, you have the Tower of Babel. And what was the command that God gave Adam and Eve? He said, be fruitful, fill the earth, and subdue it. Now, the only way you fill the earth is if you spread out. And in Genesis chapter 11, it says they all stayed together and made up in their mind that they were going to build a tower to the heavens. So they're just not listening, not obeying, but then everything shifts in Genesis chapter 12. And instead of talking about humanity as a whole, God zeroes in on one man. And from this one man, the promise, the prophecy from Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man, where God says to the serpent that from woman's seed is going to come an heir that is going to crush the devil's head. That is the beginning of that. The very beginning of that starts to happen in Genesis chapter 12 as God singles out one man, this man Abram, as the start of that redemptive story, Genesis chapter 12. And so then we hear this great promise to to Abram. God says, I'm going to make you this mighty nation. You're going to be blessed beyond your wildest dreams. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you. But the promise came with stipulations. There were things that Abram had to shred in order to step into the promise. How does it start? Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, leave your family, and leave your father's house. Then I will make you a great nation, and onward, and onward, and onward. There were things that Abram had to leave to step into the blessing, things he had to shred, his country, his family, his father's house, not literally shred his family. That sounds really terrible. 
all, all very figurative, okay? And so those are my three of four points. The fourth point is a secret one that we'll get to later. Country, family, and father's house. God said, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house. So what does that mean, leave your country? Well, I can tell you that for you, it doesn't mean to leave the United States, okay? Just stay here. That's not what, and I'm not telling you to go to Russia or Madagascar or anything like that, okay? You can stay put. But what it means is it means Abram was called to leave his culture, to leave the culture that he found himself in a day with. Now, you have to understand, there is no people of God yet. There is no Israelites. There is no Hebrew nation. All that comes later. All there is is just a bunch of humans that God made, and they started having babies and just making a bunch of bad decisions. That's all there is. And so you have all of these pagan idolaters all over the place. And so Abram was born in a city called Ur, which is in Mesopotamia. It's in um, where the in what was then the Sumerian nation. And it's a was a pagan place. It was a place, that town, city of Ur was actually dedicated, a city built as a shrine to the moon god called Shin. Okay, so to this pagan god, they built an entire city. And that's the city that Abram was born into. It was a godless place, a place of extreme idolatry, a place of extreme excess and hedonism, a ton of wealth in this town. Human sacrifice was very prevalent. You can, there's architectural, um, architectural, uh, archaeological, there we go, archaeological studies um, that were done in 1918, 1924, where they found um, little babies that had been sacrificed, all arranged in these very, very strange configurations. I mean, it was a terrible, terrible place, a place of extreme wealth and comfort where, where, where wealth was just this, this means of, of, of self-indulgence. Abram was called out of this culture. God said to Abraham, you can't step into the promise that I have for you with one foot in this culture. And in the same way, God is asking you, asking me to step out of the culture that we find ourselves in so that we can step into the promise that he has for us. And so what is the culture of today? There's two main um, sort of ideologies, I'd say, that, that encompass everything else, and it's humanism and individualism. Humanism is the idea that, that we as humans don't need to look any further than ourselves to solve all the world's problems. We don't need God we don't need the divine. We don't need any of that. We just, if we just build government good enough and if we just think really hard and trust in science, then we can fix all of our problems. We don't need God. We don't need the spiritual. That's humanism. That's humanism. And then individualism, and this is a cancer in our world right now, is the idea that your needs, your desires, your dreams, and your wants are above everything else. And that would be opposed to what is called collectivism, where the needs of society are above your own needs, your own dreams, your own desires. And that's not what we have now. We have, you know, it's like, you just got to, you just go find your truth. You just go live, you just go, no one's going to tell you who your lived experience is. If you need, if you need to receive love today, then you just go out and get it wherever you need. Just receive love, right? That's the, that's individualism, that your needs are, are the, are the ultimate thing. And that as long as you're seeking your needs and your desires and making sure that your dreams are fulfilled, then everything is just fine. A few decades ago, there were some young men, some of them as young as 16 years old, that stormed a beach in Normandy, knowing, knowing 
with 90% certainty that they were going to die. But they knew that they were dying for something bigger than themselves. Can you imagine some of the Gen Z snowflakes? We like say you got to go storm a beach. They're like, oh, what? You know, can I get my froth cortada there first? And that's what I love about our military men and women is they they understand that there are causes bigger than yourself that are worth not only living for, but dying for if necessary. We have forgotten that one of the highest calls in life is to give your life for something. And individualism is this cancer in our world. And I'm telling you, some of us need to shred one foot in this culture and one foot in kingdom culture. You have got to take your foot out of the culture of this world and step fully into kingdom culture. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not in the culture. It means you're not defined by the culture. You're not, the culture doesn't dictate who you are, your identity, the decisions you make. I'm not saying go have a holy huddle and go build a compound out in, you know, Arizona somewhere. That's weird. Don't do that. Okay, don't do that. That's very weird. I'm not supposed to do that. But we are called to not... you. The call of God, to step into the call of God, to forsake all means that you leave your desires behind. You leave your preferences behind. You leave your dreams behind. You leave your aspirations behind and say yes to God. What are you saying yes to? What did God say to Abram? Go to a land that I will show you. Abram's like, cool, where is it? I'm not telling. I'll tell you when we get there. God called Abram to leave things behind in faith that as he was on his way, God, and God is asking the same of us. What are you saying yes to? God may not tell you yet, but I'm telling you, it is a wild adventure. And here is the crazy irony of the whole thing, is you will find that as you say yes to God and pursue him with reckless abandon, forsaking all, you'll wake up one day, five, six, seven, eight, nine years later, like me, and say, wow. Every single one of my desires has been met in ways that I never could have dreamed for myself nine years ago. You want to know why? Because the Bible says in Psalm 37, people have this on their little coffee mugs that God will give you the desires of your heart, you know, the drink. But then they, so they think, cool, that means God's going to give me my, my Porsche GT4, I'm pumped, the desire of my heart. It's not what it means. People like to leave off the first part of that verse. You can't just take little bits of the Bible that you, you know, that suit your needs, Right? Psalm 37 says that if you delight in the Lord, then he will give you the desires of your heart. And as you say yes to God, as you step out of the worldly culture and into kingdom culture, you will find that your desires, your true desires are actually revealed to you and then fulfilled. God does give you the desires of your heart. They're just different desires that you had before you started following him. Okay, So I believe that for some of us, God is asking you, to leave your culture, to, to get, quit, quit straddling, quit having one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, one foot out there, one world in the church. Step out of it and step into what he has for you. Shredding culture, come on. Point number one, leave your country. Then God says, get out of your country. And then he says, from your family. Now, this doesn't mean necessarily don't call your abuelo and say, hey, I'm never talking to you again, Grandpa. God said so. That's not what I'm saying. You have to understand that in those times, your family was your social circle. 
It was your entire community, the people that you hung out with, did life with. There are people in your world, this is not a bad thing, okay? There are, the, saying yes to the call of God in your world will necessarily cause you to diverge from certain people. It's true. And it's not a bad thing. It doesn't mean they're bad people. You know, we've been at Awaken Church for nine years, and there's a lot of people that we, you know, had very, very close relationships with early on, and they're still our friends. It's not like we had some breaking up moment where we're like, listen, you are no longer one of my friends. I shun you. But we have, Katie and I have said yes to God in certain ways that some of our original friends haven't, and so we just have diverged a little bit, and there's nothing wrong with that. There are relationships in your world that change as you say yes to the call of God. And it used to really bug me. I used to think that, you know, because I wasn't as close to people that I used to be closer with, that it meant I was doing something wrong. What's going on? And then this wise old man told me about the space shuttle and and likened this to the space shuttle. And for some reason, this analogy just really spoke to me and made me feel great. And if you look at a space shuttle, so space shuttles land like airplanes, but they take off like rockets, okay? So a space shuttle starts out with a big orange fuel tank on the front and two white rocket boosters. And off they go together. And as you get to a certain point, the rocket boosters have used all of their rocket fuel. And there is no longer any aid to the space shuttle having those rocket boosters on there. And so the person in the space shuttle pushes the little eject button and off go the rocket boosters. And it's not like the space shuttle's like, screw you, rocket boosters. I'm going up, you're going down, suckers. It's just... They no longer serve a purpose in the continued journey of the space shuttle. And so off the space shuttle goes a little bit further with the orange fuel tank, and now it's just the space shuttle and the orange fuel tank, us against the world. We're going to do a little fuel tank. But then after all the fuel has gone out of the fuel tank, again, fuel tank breaks off and it's just the space shuttle. And there are people in your world that God has in your world for a season to carry you from one place to another, and then... Seasons change, and that's okay. And it doesn't mean that you hate those people and, you know, you got to have, like I said, some official define the relationship talk where you take them out to coffee and say, hey, you are no longer a level A friend. I am now demoting you to a level B friend. Don't do that. That's not good. But just understand that relationships change, and that is a good and healthy thing. And there are some of you in here that just like God spoke to Abram, you need to shred some relationships that will not serve you moving into the destiny that God has for you in 2022. Maybe it's a romantic relationship. Maybe, it's, maybe it actually is members of your family. Maybe there's members of your family that speak negativity, that speak death, and they, they have, you have allowed them to have a voice and to have your ear in a way that they no longer need to. And it's not, again, it's not, I hate you, don't talk to me. It's just like there's healthy boundaries that no longer allow you to speak into my world the way that you have previously. So, point number one, get out of your country. Get out of your family. You know, the, and if you're going to shred certain relationships, then God will replace those with different relationships. So conversely, you have to ask yourself, okay, if there are certain relationships that God would want me to shred in order to step into what he has for me in 2022, what are the new relationships he wants me to make to launch you into the call that God has for you in 2022. Now, this is a very scary prayer to pray. And if you're brave enough, I dare you. 
And I prayed this about five years ago, very earnestly. I said, God, will you surround me with people that are more successful than me? Now, it turns out God started to answer that prayer, and it turns out I didn't realize you have to actually be a really secure person to pray that prayer. And all of a sudden, I found myself surrounded by people that were a lot more successful than me in every area. More successful in business, better father, better husband, better leader, better preacher, better looking. My friend Marco is frustratingly handsome. And I had, to, I had to be a secure man to be around all of these men that were better than me. Because listen, if you're around people that are better than you, you realize how not as good as them you are. And you have to be able to be okay with that. And I'm telling you, that is a good and healthy thing because now nobody wants to be, or, well, you shouldn't want to be the big fish in a small pond. To walk around where, you know, you're the smart one in your group of friends, you're the successful one in your group of friends, you're the, you know, you need to find new friends. You need to find new friends that challenge you. And every single one of these new people in my world, they challenge me. I look at them as a model of possibility of what God is calling me to be, of what I could one day be if I continue to submit myself in the ways that they have. What are the relationships that God wants to bring to you in place of some of the relationships that he would have you shred? Lastly, almost lastly, there's four points, but the last one's a secret. God said to Abram, leave your country, your family, and lastly he said, and your father's house. So to really understand the gravity of that, we have to understand who Abram's father was. So we look a little bit before Genesis chapter 12, Genesis 11, and we're going to look at the very end of Genesis chapter 11 where it gives a little, all we really know in Scripture about Abram's dad um, is in Genesis chapter 11. So I'm going to read Genesis 11:27 through 32. It should be on the screen behind me, but if you've got your Bible, I want you to flip there. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah is Abram's dad. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. It's important. So there's Abram, Nahor, Haran, three brothers, okay? Abram is one of them. Haran begot Lot. So Haran, Abram's brother, had a son. So that means Lot is Abram's nephew. Everybody tracking so far, right? 28, and Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. So this whole family is from a place called Ur, also important. So for the sake of illustration, Ur is right here. Got it? Ur. All right, where was I? Then Abram uh, and Nahor took wives. The name, this is verse 29. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, uh, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. Verse 31. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son's Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. Okay? So, Abram's dad says, we're starting here in Ur, we're going somewhere else. We're going to the land of Canaan, which is over there by the keyboard, okay? But then it says, uh, in the middle of verse 31, and they came to Haran and dwelt there. Now, it's a little confusing because I thought Haran was the name of one of Abram's brothers. It is. But there's also a place called Haran that's halfway between Ur and Canaan. And they don't make it all the way to Canaan. 
Abram's dad settles in a place called Haran. Verse 32, so the days of Terah were 205 years, and to me one of the saddest verses in the Bible, and Terah died in Haran. There's a lot there. So Terah, Abram's dad, his name in Hebrew means wanderer. And what does it mean to be a wanderer? It means you have no destination, no direction, no vision, no purpose, no plan. We also know from the Bible that he was fabulously wealthy. The Bible talks about Abram's wealth. Abram was an incredibly wealthy man. He would have inherited all of his wealth. And there were three brothers. And Abram most likely wasn't even the older brother. And in those days, the eldest brother got almost everything. So even all of Abram's great wealth would have paled in comparison to the wealth of his father. So his father was fabulously wealthy. And again, as we read in the passage, he lived in a city called Ur. Now this city was a pagan city. I think I mentioned at the beginning of, uh, of the message that was dedicated to a pagan moon god called Shin. Now, if we look at Joshua chapter 24, so this is substantially later in the narrative, God speaks through Joshua reminding the people of Israel where they came from. Um, and it says in Joshua 24 verses 2 and 3, this is God speaking through Joshua to the people. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him through the land of Canaan, blah, 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 blah. So Abram's father was not a man after God's heart. He was an idolater. He served other gods. And actual Jewish literature outside of the Bible would tell us that Terah, Abram's dad, wasn't just a worshiper of idols. He made all of his wealth as a maker of idols. He was a craftsperson that would build idols for other people to worship. And so they leave Ur on their way to Canaan. But the Bible says that they settle in Haran. And Haran in Hebrew means parched. So because he is a man of no grounding, of no vision, because he doesn't serve God, because he doesn't have the fortitude that comes with serving God, when he becomes parched on the journey, when it gets hard, when it gets difficult, he settles. Doesn't make it all the way from Ur to Canaan. Settles halfway in Haran, which means parched. Interestingly, Haran also was a city dedicated to the exact same moon god, Shin. And so Haran, or I'm sorry, Terah, Abram's father, finds himself on this journey. Things get hard, and he goes back to the idolatry he once knew, goes back to a place where they worship the same gods that he did of old. Also, as I mentioned, very strange, this city is named Haran. He also had a son named Haran. Go back to Genesis 11, uh, uh, verse 28. It says, and Haran, not the city, but Abram's brother, died before his father Terah in his native land. And if you look at the actual Hebrew, it doesn't mean before chronologically. It means before him, before his eyes. His son died in his arms before him. And his son's name was Haran. Now, it's a, the city Haran 
is a very is is a different word. They don't mean the same thing. Um, I believe Haran, the the name of his son, means mountaineer, mountain climber. But Haran, the city, means parched. But they're almost the exact same word. And if you most Bible translations, the name of Abram's brother Haran, the son that died, is H A R A N. But then the place will be H A R R A N. It's the exact same in the Hebrew. There's just one tiny little consonant that's different. So imagine that you're Abram's father, Terah. You don't follow God. You've experienced this incredible tragedy in your life. And he's on this journey. The journey is hard. He doesn't know if he can make it. He doesn't have the strength that God provides. And then in the distance, he sees, welcome to Haran. And he's brought back to the tragedy that he knew. And the tragedy overtakes him and he can't keep going. And so he settles in a land that means parched. And so Abram is told to leave his father's house because the same visionlessness, the same purposelessness, the same inability to escape trauma will not serve Abram and the promise that God has for him. So he has to shred his father's house to leave behind his father's house. We talk a lot at this church about generational curses, and maybe that sounds weird and super spiro to you, but it is real. I'm telling you, what walks in fathers runs in sons. Whatever your parents chose not to deal with, you have to deal with. Whatever you choose not to deal with, your children will have to deal with. Period. That's how it is. Whatever you don't deal with, your children will have to deal with. What generational patterns do you need to shred today that are keeping you from stepping into all that God has for you in 2022? Now, incredibly important caveat. Recognizing generational patterns of dysfunction in your family is not the same as blaming your parents for all of your problems. Those are very different. The Bible says that you are to honor your father and your mother. Doesn't matter if they're worthy of your honor or not. The Bible says that you are to honor them. I can honor my mother and honor my father. My father died of drug-induced heart failure from an opioid addiction when I was 19 years old and was a pretty big mess for the few years leading up to his death. But even now, I can honor him. I can honor him for all that he taught me in those short years that we had together. I can honor my mother for shielding me from from all the things that she shielded me from. Even though there was incredible dysfunction in my home growing up, I honor my father and my mother. It is me recognizing the dysfunction in my family and saying, I'm going to shred that is not the same as saying, my parents are my problem. Not the same. You are called to honor your father and mother, but also cut off the things that don't serve you from your family line. So what do you need to shred today? Patterns in your family. Maybe it's patterns of anxiety. Maybe every woman in your family is anxious and you find yourself struggling with anxiety. Maybe it's alcohol addiction. Every single man in my family, as far back as they go, has struggled severely with alcoholism. And I'm determined that that ends with me. That ends with me. I'm not going to pass that on to my son. There's no way. What do you need to shred today from your family line? God said to Abram, leave your country, leave your family, leave your father's house. Now, 
There's one secret bonus point. Point four. I want you to come back and look at me one last time. Not look at me. Look with me one last time. Hopefully you're all looking at me. Or at your Bible. That's okay too. I want you to look at Genesis chapter 12, what we started the message with. Verse 1. And look at how the discourse between God and Abram starts. It says, Now the Lord had said to Abram. And that's wildly important. The Lord had said to Abram. Now, if we jump all the way ahead to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 7, a man named Stephen, this is thousands of years later, Stephen was the very first martyr in the brand new emerging church. He was stoned to death while the apostle Paul, who then at the time was called Saul, held the coats of the men that stoned him. He was the very first martyr. And he stands up before he's stoned to death and gives this amazing um, sermon. And he says uh, uh, in Acts chapter 7, verse 2, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. The God of glory appeared to Abraham while he was still in Ur, in Mesopotamia, before he got to Haran. And then if you look back at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, And God had spoke to Abram, Leave your country, your family, your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. And I, this is so encouraging to me because, you know, Abraham, the father of faith, the one who was willing to sacrifice his only son Isaac on a mountain, the, like listed in the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. The apostle Paul talks about him for an entire chapter in Romans 4 about how he's the mighty man of faith, the father of faith, faith, Abraham, Abraham, faith. I mean, they're basically synonymous. And he starts out his very first interaction with God with failure. Because what did God say to Abram? As we, again, he says, and God had spoke to Abram. And then Stephen tells us in Acts chapter 7 that God spoke to him back here and said, leave your country, your family, and your father's house. But it's his father, Terah, that packs up the family and starts on the way to Canaan. So Abram must have said, hey, Dad, I think we're all supposed to go to Canaan together. You know, I heard from... So he got one of the three right. He left his country, but he didn't leave his family and he didn't leave his father's house. Even the father of faith started with half-hearted faith. Didn't start with full, blatant, wild obedience. He was too afraid to leave the comfort of his father's house. And then I imagine all these years later, they've settled in Haran, and then we have Genesis chapter 12, where God again says, and it says, and the Lord had spoke to Abram. And if you read the Hebrew, it's like this ongoing speaking. It means that God spoke to him again, revisited him and said, hey, I told you a while back, leave your country, leave your family, leave your father's house and go to a land that I will show you. He failed the test the first time. Here's the beautiful thing when you follow God, he'll give you tests. And if you fail the test, you just get retested later on. All you do is delay the inevitable. Now you can keep delaying the inevitable until you die and that would be really sad. But God will just keep giving you the same test, keep giving you the same test, keep giving you the same test until you finally pass. And he says, okay, great, now we're on to the next level. 
It's the way God works. And so here Abram is in Haran. Years after God had spoke to him and said, leave your country, leave your family, leave your father's house and go to land that I will show you. He only halfway did it. And they didn't make it all the way. They didn't make it from Ur to Canaan. They made it from Ur to Haran, halfway. And the voice of God comes again to test him again and say, Abram, I told you to leave your country, leave your family, leave your father's house and go to a land that I will show you. And think about what Abram was faced with. And this is the last thing that I believe God wants us to shred today as a church family, is your own failures. Abram must have remembered how years ago God had spoke to him and how he didn't listen. And here God was speaking to him again. And I can only imagine that he just said, gosh, I just all the memories came flooding back of the shame and guilt of only halfway listening to God that didn't get him all the way where he was supposed to go, that delayed his destiny, that got him stuck in this place called Parched, called Haran. But then he obeyed. And so what failures do you need to shred today? Maybe, maybe you failed in a, in a relationship previously. And maybe you failed so bad that it, it keeps you from jumping into new relationships. And you're unable to, to maintain or get deep friendships because of the failure of a previous relationship. And you just feel like, man, I'm just gonna train wreck the next one and train wreck the next one. It's time to shred that today. Maybe you failed a business. Maybe you tanked a company in s- splendid glory. But God is calling you to get out there again. But every time you think about it, you're just flooded with all the things you did wrong the first time. I don't know what it is. I wish that I could, maybe it's moral failures, shortcomings in your own world, things you still presently struggle. I wish I could tell you when when Pastor Jurgen and Leanne sat Katie and I down and said, hey, we want you to take over the East Lake campus of Awakened Church and be campus pastors. I wish I could tell you that instantly Jericho strategy began flowing into my mind and I just began getting downloads like when you know, Neo from the Matrix learned karate and I was just like, yes, I can't wait to step into my destiny. Literally the minute that Pastor Jurgen was like, we want you to take over, I was overwhelmed with my own failures. And I just instantly was just flooded with all the reasons why I'm not qualified to stand up here and do exactly what I'm doing right now. But that's the accuser. The devil in the Bible is called the accuser because he accuses you. Isn't it so ironic how like when you, like when the devil tempts you to do something, to think something, to say something, to not do something, whatever, it's, oh, it's okay. You know, everybody struggles with this. No big deal, everybody. But then after whatever it is happens, then it's like you're the only one who sucks this bad. It's just such lies. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Some of us need to shred our own failures. The things that say, that whisper in your ear, man, I can't speak into the lives of, of younger men. Like, you know, I, I've, I, I've failed in as a husband in this area or as a father in this area or as a business person or as a, as a, you know, in my own personal holiness in this area, whatever. And you disqualify yourself because of your own moral shortcomings and you need to shred that today. You need to shred that today. So here's what we're going to do here in just one second. First, I'm going to take a drink of water, then I'll tell you. I'm going to go ahead and have everybody stand up to your feet. And 
there's, as I mentioned, I think at the beginning of service, there's a piece of paper on your seat. Maybe you've already been writing on it. That'd be great. I'm ending the service a little bit early, and that's to leave room for what happens next. And so some ushers are going to come and set these shredding machines up here on top of the, the subwoofers. And there's nothing, there's nothing magical about these shredding machines. They're just paper shredders. I think we, they got them at Staples. They say Staples on the top. They're probably 35 bucks a piece, okay? There's nothing magical about these shredders. There's nothing magical about the piece of paper. But there is something supernatural about you physically walking up and shredding that piece of paper. I can't explain it. I used to think it was the silliest thing in the world when I first came to this church. Now it's my favorite thing we do. I always I shredded my paper during the 9 a.m. service, and I'm telling you I'm feeling high on life and pumped up and ready to dive into 2022, ready to rock and roll. And so I'm going to pray here in a second. The worship team is going to begin to play and, and just lead us in some, some beautiful worship music. And take your time. Don't rush through this. If you need to sit back down and write on your piece of paper and spend some more time, then do it. Don't rush out of here. Spend time praying. If you have nothing on your paper and nothing to shred, then we worship you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for coming back so quickly. Take us with you. Write some things down and leave it here. And there's going to be members of our ministry team up here and they're, you know, they're not going to pray with you for 45 minutes. You don't need to tell them about how it all started when you were four years old and all that. They're literally just going to put a hand on your shoulder and just say, hey, we believe that everything that you're shredding right now is broken in Jesus' name. Amen. See you later. Blessed and highly favored you are. And so we're going to, again, just create space and time for every single one of you to make your way up here, shred your piece of paper, and then make your way back out. So let's try, you know, again, I know we're limited on space and we're going to do the best we can. But I'm going to pray right now. Ministry team is going to come forward. And don't leave here without getting your paper shredded. This is an active construction site. We are a little limited on amperage and power. And so if for some reason the shredders go out, then it will become Ripper Sunday, and we'll just manually rip them up, and that'll be, it'll be all good. So let me pray for us. God, we just thank you so much that you are here. Your word says that where two or more gathered, there you are in their midst. God, we know that you are here today, that you are whispering to hearts, that you are speaking to minds, illuminating the areas of our life that will not serve us, illuminating the things in our world that we need to shred to step into the destiny that you have for us, that there are things that you want us to take hold of that we can't while our hands are filled with other things. God, I pray that we would release those things today in Jesus' name. Things that are scary to release. Just as it must have been hard for Abram to leave the comfort of his father's house, to step out in faith and go to a land that you hadn't even shown him yet. In the same way, God, I pray that in the same spirit, we would step out from the comfortable. We would step out from what is known to us and step into the promise you have for us. God, I pray that as we physically put these little pieces of paper in these paper shredders, that there is a supernatural transaction taking place, that the things that are written on these sheets of paper are broken, they're shredded, and in their place, your Holy Spirit is going to be, begin to deposit new things on the inside of us, new measures of courage, new measures of strength, new measures of solidarity, new measures of leadership in each and every one of us so we can step into the destiny that you have for us, God. We 
declare generational curses are broken today. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.